good to see all of you. My name is Pastor Jim. I have the privilege of serving here as the uh, lead pastor here of Bethel Christian Fellowship St. Paul, the senior pastor of our, over our seven family of churches. And I'm here this morning, so, and uh, excited to share with you the word of the Lord. All right. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, we just want to welcome you now as you share with us your word. It is truly your word. And so we invite you now to speak to us as we come together as a people here in your house to listen to you. Lord, come now and reveal your heart to us and reveal your truth to us. And may it be more than informational. May it be transformational in the name of the Lord. Amen. So we're in uh, a goodly way into our study of the book of Ephesians. If you've got your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 which is going to be the context for our conversation again this morning. If you remember the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us an expansive vision of the kingdom of God. And he kind of, his, his main purpose is simply to kind of um, expand and enlarge our mind and our heart and our spirit to who God is and what God is doing. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, there's a transition that happens when he says, Therefore, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And so now he goes from sort of this indicative, who are we, to the imperative, what are we called to do? I want you to live a life that's coherent, cohesive with who you are. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And so... I want you to live a life that is in alignment with my purpose and this vision that I have given to you. He goes on, and in chapter 4, verse 22 to 24, he says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the reality is we're no longer to be conformed in character and conduct to our old life. We experience conversion when we definitely and permanently put off our old life and put on our new life. And this is both a point of decision and a process of transformation that requires a daily deliberate reorientation and renewal of our minds. And that renewal of our mind looks a bit like this. As it says in Ephesians 5, follow God's example, mimic. The word there, mimeo, in the Greek is actually the same word we get mimic for. So mimic, imitate God, therefore is dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Out of this verse, we got the title for this whole sermon series, A New Way. It is walking in that new and living way, the new and living way of his life in us. So what it is, is that we are to reproduce the family likeness of God our Father, patterning our lives according to his self-sacrificial love. Jesus reproduced that likeness perfectly and is the example for us to follow, patterning our lives with him, after him, in our speech our sexual ethic, our work ethic, our attitude, and our wisdom. So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at what it means to pattern our life after Christ, to reproduce the Father's image, 
as it relates to, first of all, our speech. Felix Amenime, one of our elders, shared with that about that three weeks ago. And then, secondly, our sexual ethic, how it is that we are supposed to um, pattern our lives uh, as it relates to um, our sexual ethic. Our work ethic is something that we looked at last week. And this morning, we're going to be looking at our attitude, and next week, we're going to be looking at that of wisdom. And so if you've missed any of the messages, there are CDs and PowerPoints in the back table that you can pick up, or you can go to the website and download uh, messages there. So this morning, I want to speak with us and share with us about what it means to have a new attitude. Everybody's got your scripture, right? You've, uh, you've looked at it? All right. So we're going to be looking at a portion here of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, and we're going to look at a couple of different verses here, 26 and 27 and 30 and through 32. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. That's what we looked at last week, that particular scripture. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This new attitude. Now, Last several weeks, we've noted that when our old self is in control, it's marked by self-indulgence, but our new life is marked by self-sacrifice. And so we're going to once again this morning look at some contrasts between a life that is marked by self-indulgence versus a life that is marked by self-sacrifice, specifically and particularly as it relates to the issue of our attitudes. So, come with me now. First of all, we're going to be looking in our contrast between a self-indulgent and self-sacrificial attitude. We're going to look at the contrast between selfish anger and selfless anger. Now, I don't know if anybody in the room other than me struggles with the issue of anger. Perhaps I'm the only one. Anybody else have that? Okay. So, yeah, okay. There's a few of us that, okay. 100%, yes, I think we, yes. I find it interesting here, and and I just want you to notice, because sometimes we just kind of read through texts, and we just kind of pass over words, and we don't actually focus and listen to what it says. It says, in your anger. What does that mean? That means that it is a given that you will experience anger. In your anger. Okay, somehow we... I think we sometimes live with the illusion that we're going to come to a place in our spiritual development where we will never experience anger ever again. And not only is that inhuman, it's also not even biblical or spiritual. Because anger is a part, it's one of the emotions, it's part of the way we're wired and who we are as human beings and the way God has made us and created us. So the issue isn't about the anger itself. The issue is about finding or or creating the distinction and the contrast between selfish anger and selfless 
anger. So let me try to unpack that for a moment. Put off selfish anger. Here's what it says in James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So I think the underlying issue for us is this with the putting on of selfish, putting off of selfish anger. The problem with anger is that um, it can become like a hot coal in our hand and it actually burns the person that's holding on to the coal. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had those conversations? I, you know, one of the places that I have conversations is when I'm mowing the lawn. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody when you're mowing the lawn? Okay, no, okay. Maybe I'm the only one. All right, but Man, I have some great conversations with people when I'm mowing the lawn. <laughs> Thing is, uh, not much happening on their side. Lots going on on my side. What happens with that anger that I'm holding is it ends up sort of burning a hole in my own heart. So in your anger, do not sin. Do not let it become... Selfish, which the reason and, the, and the, the selfishness really has to do with our wounded pride most of the time, if we're really honest. A lot of anger really flows out of wounded pride. When we're not getting our way, people aren't cooperating with our plan for the world, you know. Seriously, right? So in your anger, do not sin and... Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's that issue of hanging onto it. Now, it doesn't mean literally. Now, you know, I re- heard about a couple that, you know, decided to take the biblical text seriously, and because they just couldn't resolve their issues and they really wanted to stay angry with one another, they decided to move up to Alaska during the summer where the sun never does go down. <laughs> so they could just keep at it. I don't really think it's literally not letting the sun go down. But what he's getting at is the practical wisdom of saying, if you want to hang on to this, it's going to start burning a hole in your heart. And don't let the enemy have a foothold. It becomes a place where the enemy begins to take and distort. And it's so, the line between selfish and selfless anger often is very narrow. And at times, even what can begin with selfless anger, because I have been in situations where I have seen people, and this is the honest truth, I've seen people who are really angry, righteously angry about something that's an injustice or something that is actually truly something to be angry about, because we're going to get to that in a moment. There are things to be angry about. And yet through somehow that anger has worked its way and and it's become distorted and twisted to the fact where I've seen people become the very thing that they're angry against. I've seen, I've I've watched this with my own eyes. I've seen people who are righteously angry against abuse, which is a horrible thing, which is not to be tolerated. But out of anger, their own anger, and, and what has begun as righteous anger, 
can turn into actually becoming abusive in their own anger. That's why sometimes abused people become abusers. Because of the self-protective mechanism of anger. What began is righteous. So again, the anger, and we're going to get to that now, the selfless anger is appropriate. That's what we're to put on. But it so easily can be distorted towards selfish anger again. So remember what it says here. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. But God's anger does. So this is where we put on selfless anger. Psalm 119.53, indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. When you read about an airliner where 200 and what, 68, 98, whatever it was, human beings died who were just completely innocent, just flying from one place to another, that should make us angry. I mean, God's angry about that. The injustice of that. When we hear, I just, I, I only heard it in passing, so I don't want to get it wrong, but I believe I heard that today in Iraq, in one of the cities, is it Mosul? In Iraq, they're saying that, that the Christians have 12 hours to convert to Islam or they will die. Our brothers and sisters right now are standing in a place where if they don't publicly convert to Islam, they're going to be killed. That should make us angry. That should make us angry. So there is a selfless anger when we are in tune with the heart of God. As Jesus was, you know the, the story in John 2 when he comes into the temple and he had a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple courts and both sheep and cattle and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables and to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is not Jesus meek and mild with, you know, blue eyes and golden locks of hair who's kind of sitting sweetly in, no. This is Jesus in the righteousness of God saying, you are preventing people from coming to me, to the Father. Get out of here. So there is a place in our anger when the brokenness and, and distortedness and the destructiveness of the world and sinfulness comes in, we see that there is a place in us that cries out to God for justice and righteousness and his order to be established. That is righteous indignation and is the anger which, into which we are called to. And sometimes that even happens in the context of, of, of interpersonal relationships where something's disordered and we're crying out and there is an anger that rises up in us. And if it's from the Lord, it will produce a call and an invitation towards reordering and righteousness and justice. So here's my question. Is my anger righteous? Is it aligned with God's heart? Or is it unrighteous based on my own injured pride? Am I holding my anger 
like that hot coal, or am I releasing it? Am I bringing it to God and releasing even the anger, the righteous anger that I feel? Or am I giving the enemy an opportunity for control in my life? Has anger found a wormhole in my heart that has begun to create a place where the enemy gets a foothold? He has a part of territory in my heart out of which he can continue. This is a real issue, people. The one who has struggled with anger in his life, who has experienced the fallout of unrighteous anger, who knows the, 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 the challenges of that, I know that God can and does bring help, hope, and healing in this area. Because I've experienced that. And I believe that that's available for you as well. But we've got to put off our old self-indulgent. You know, anger can be really self-indulgent. It's a sacrifice to let it go. Well, let's go on. Here's the other contrast I want to draw. It's between bad temper and temperance. My kids go to a charter school, Nova Classical Academy, where they teach the virtues, and a lot of your kids do too. So I think there's a temperance song that they sing. I was asking my wife this morning on the phone, okay, so remind me, what does temperance mean? It's doing the right action at the right time. Is that right? Did I get that right? Noah. Yes? Yes? Okay, thumbs up. Temperance means doing the right action at the right time. Bad temper typically is doing the wrong action at the wrong time. <laughs> and that's the contrast that we're going to draw here between self-indulgent and self-sacrificial. So put off bitterness. Goes through this whole list. Bitterness is a negative, cynical, sour, resentful outlook which refuses to be reconciled. It's ugly. Bitterness is one of the most corrosive poisons in any relationship, whether it's between a husband and wife, a child and parent, uh, co-workers, friends, church, neighbors, whatever it is. Bitterness is ugly. It is a poison. As it says in Hebrews, do not let the root of bitterness grow up in you so that it poisons, affects, influences many. Bitterness is like, it's like a poison that goes through the roots and it just begins to, it's, it's horrid. And it's a negative, cynical, sour, resentful outlook. You ever been around bitter people? Oof, man. It's tough. It's hard to be around. Have you ever been bitter? And you're hard to be around. I'm hard to be around if I'm harboring bitterness. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness is one of those things that just spreads. Put it off. Put off wrath. Wrath is explosive rage. I had a relative that was, man, you know, this particular relative, and I won't, whatever, was, this was their modus operandi, was explosive rage. You just never know when it was going to, 
And shrapnel starts going everywhere. Anger. Now this is similar. Okay, we already talked about it. But anger is a settled, sullen hostility. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, and Andrew's preached a message on this, a great, oh, we're going to get to that in a second. Clamor is shouting, brawling, and quarreling. Okay? Again, if you've, and, and maybe your family grew up with this. I don't know. Different families do stuff different ways. But, you know, these are the things to put off. And in 1 Kings 21, so if you've got your Bible, you can go there. This is the, you know, this is the story about Ahab. And um, starting in verse 1 of 1 Kings 21, sometime later there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, Well, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab went home sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, Well, I'm not going to give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay on his bed, sucking his thumb and refusing to eat. He lay in his bed sulking. This is the king, and I wanted that vineyard for my vegetables. And Naboth wouldn't let me lay there. And then Jezebel comes on the scene. All right? And his wife Jezebel, verse 5, came in and asked, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered, I mean, I send a name at the Jezreelite. I'll do it in my best Andrew Gross wine voice. Come on, and when, you, when he's preaching, it's a great voice. Sell me your vineyard. Or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I'll not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as the king over Israel? Get up and eat. Man up, boy. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. And here we get to the next part of what we're to put off. Put off slander. Speaking evil of others to destroy their reputation. What did you hear about? Oh, let me tell you a little bit about this. Oh, did you know? Ah, let me tell you a little bit more about. Mmm. Watch out over there. Are you better? Yeah? Mmm, mmm, mmm. Whisper. Gossip. Malice. Literally plotting evil against another person. Well, here we get to our dear friend Jezebel. So she, Jezebel, wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed a seal on them, sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king and then take him out and stone him to death. And they did it. Can you believe it? And what was the result of that? Well, the result of that is that then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Right? Verse 17. 
Verse 18, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria, is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs lift up Naboth's blood, dogs are going to lick up blood. Yes, yours. And also concerning Jezebel, verse 23, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. There is a cautionary tale about anger about sullenness, about bitterness, about wrath, about slander, about malice. It just does not have a good ending. Look at around the world. I mean, how much of the conflicts we have, even geopolitical conflicts that we have, are about kings and queens or rulers and authorities or whoever they are that stand in places of authority, and when they don't get their way, they say, I want that, and I'll get it whatever way that I need to. And it comes out of that horrible place. And this is the enemy with his slander and malice. This is the, and, and people come alongside, they don't even necessarily realize they are, but they've given the enemy a foothold, and he is running with that foothold. First Peter 2, 1 and 3, Therefore rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted the Lord is good. Instead of all of that, put, get rid of that and in its place, put on, first of all, kindness, which is love in practical action. The word here in the Greek is Christos, which is an assonance is the, the word that the, the, the specific uh, grammatical term, it means it sounds like Christ. In other words, put on this same attitude, Christ, of love and practical action. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is temperance. Temperance is doing the right action at the right time. So it's doing kindness. As it says in Luke 6, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Kindness. This is part of a self-sacrificial attitude is one that is kind. Secondly, compassion. Tender-heartedness. Put on compassion. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. 1 Peter 3, 3, 8 and 9. I love this story, true story, from um, Berlin before the wall came down, back during the Cold War when there was East and West Berlin, Remember? And the East Berlin were under the, the rule of the communists and, and things were not going well and the West was pros- prospering. And so one day, the East came to the wall and they took big, huge truckloads of filth and garbage and grossness and they tossed it over onto the side of the West, the west side and to west, west Berlin. When people saw that, they were up in arms and they were like, okay, we're going to get them back. And they cleaned it all up and... But somebody had the wisdom to say, now, we're not going to do to them like they have done to us. So instead, what they did was they, they packed up truckloads of 
fresh goods and food and, and you know, whatever. And they, and they brought all of this stuff, this, this good stuff, and they put it on the other side for the East Berliners. And then they put a sign on all of the goods that they had just given abundantly to them. And the sign said, each gives what he has. So next time you're tempted to return evil with evil or repay evil with evil or insult with insult, remember this. Each gives what he has. And what do you got to give? You choose. Well, they made me. Nobody makes you. You have the choice. You make the decision. You do not have to react. You have the Spirit of God in you which enables you to respond. And thirdly, forgiveness. I love this, and this kind of comes back to what I shared earlier out of John 20, that scripture in Jesus. He says, if you're going to forgive, they'll be forgiven. There is a, there's a place, but if you're going to hold on to that, you know, that's going to hold, you know, so you can, you can either hang on to stuff or you can let it go. And the beautiful words and the beautiful picture, you've heard me share this many times. It's the best picture I know of, so I share it almost every time I talk about forgiveness, is Cory Tenboom's story. Cory Tenboom was a Holocaust survivor. Her and her sister were uh, in the camps under horrible deprivation. Much later, after they got out of the camps, um, Cory Tenboom was at an event where she saw one of her former guards. And she did not know what to do. She froze, and he came up to her, and he said, Sister Cory, I have wonderful news. I, too, have now become a believer. And he put out his hand to shake her hand, and she was frozen. She's like, how can I? This man, the horrors that were done and inflicted upon us, how can I ever let that go? What can I do? And so she went to her pastor, and her pastor had the wisdom, true story, to take her outside of the church. And the vicar brought her outside, and he pointed up to the bell tower of the church, and he said, Corey, when the sexton comes to ring the bell, he pulls on the bell, and he rings the bell, and there comes a point as he's ringing that he lets it go, and that bell rings and rings and rings slower and quieter until, he stops, until it stops. He said, forgiveness is letting go of the rope. It's still going to ring for a while, but it will gradually become less and less and quieter and quieter until it is still. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There it is. Clothe yourself with forgiveness, people. It's a deliberate choice to put on. It doesn't, it doesn't mean, you know, and, and there's a whole sermon here, you know, forgiveness is not 
the same as full reconciliation. It doesn't mean put yourself back into a place where you're going to be abused again. Don't, you know, there's still, there's appropriate places. Be a peacemaker, not a peace faker. You know, Andrew and Sarah both hit on that uh, uh, several months ago during our series on growing maturity, two of our elders. Don't, you know, but, but nevertheless, there is a call, or in the midst of that, there is a call for our heart. As far as it is up to you, live at peace with all men. There is a call upon us to walk in that place of forgiveness. So here's my questions as we close. In what ways is my life exhibiting bad temper or temperance? What do I need to put off and what do I need to put on in order to more fully reproduce the family likeness of God? Am I grieving or pleasing the Holy Spirit? Because he says here, back to our original text, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And part of the way we grieve him is when we continue to walk in selfish anger and in bad temper. But there's a place that he's inviting us to even this morning. A place of putting on selfless anger being true peacemakers and putting on temperance, knowing to do the right thing at the right time. Kindness, gentleness, kindness, compassion, forgiveness. All right. So how do I live this out, Pastor? What are the steps that I can take? I'm glad you asked. Three things. First thing is to face yourself. I don't know, but there are, there needs to come a point in your life as it has in my life where I've had to face myself and say, you know, at some point, I really have to stop coddling this bad temper that I've got or this anger that I have or whatever it is that's outside of, you know, that whole, you know, I've told you that before, I've told you that story, you know, the whole I can't change really means I won't change be honest. So face yourself. If we claim to be without sin, 1 John 1 says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So why bother lying to yourself or thinking you're lying to God or thinking you're lying to other people because guess what? The thing that you don't think, you know, it's kind of like um, a piece of lettuce stuck in your teeth. You might not see it, but everybody else does. Right? So face yourself. Face your friends. This, is, this can be really helpful. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, Proverbs 27, 17. Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Don't. Just surround yourself with people who are going to kiss up to you. Surround yourself with people who will actually speak the truth and love to you. This would take huge courage on your part, but perhaps you could ask somebody who's trusted and say, you know, do you see any of this stuff in me? I need help. I want help. Face your friends. That's why God puts you in community. I'm so grateful God's put me in community. I'm so, I don't know what I'd do without community. I don't know what I'd have done this week without community. But I don't know what I'd do, you know, in my, just my daily life and my walk. I need community. Finally, face God. 
Love this scripture. It's one of my favorites. Got lots of favorites, but 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord brings freedom. And when you begin to look at his face and he looks down at you, his love will melt even the hardness of hardest of hard hearts. So face yourself. Face your friends and face God and walk into freedom. So, there we are. I've delivered the word of the Lord to you this morning. Now, it's our opportunity to respond to that. We can say, well... I'm so grateful that my spouse was here today to hear that. Ooh, man, I wish my kids had been here. My spouse was here. I just, no. Good thing he was talking to those people. I think he's talking to me. Can I tell you something? This is honest truth. So when I come before you as your pastor and deliver the word of the Lord, one of the things that I ask, or one of the things that just happens for me, this has been true all of my years of ministry, is before any, the sword of truth passes out of my mouth, it first passes through my own heart. And that's why I don't preach at you. Because I'm with you in the same places of brokenness and need and the same ongoing process of transformation of putting off and putting on. I'm not there yet. But I've come a ways. And I still have more ways to go and so do you. So, let's ask him to help us this morning together, okay? Would that be all right? If you want to stand and if you want to join me at this altar this morning, you're welcome to. Let's open our hands. Lord Jesus, we are coming to you today because in ourselves we are powerless. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is truly freedom. And God, I just want to ask you to Send your anointing, and the anointing is not just something that comes sort of upon you, but it's something that grows up within you. It's the thing that, that, that fattens your neck so that the old yokes don't fit anymore. I pray that you would increase your anointing in us so that the old yokes of anger and bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander and malice will no longer fit in the name of Jesus. Break it off of us, Lord. From the inside out, as you flood us with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Oh God, how we love you today. Do your work deep in us.
Do your work deep in us today. Deep in us today. 